wonderful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Low Blassengame, and I am your host. I am here today with an after the episode with my partner in crime, Christiana Kimmick. Hello. We are here, and we are going to be talking about Betsy Ames and Chris Paulson, their episodes. We are here to talk today about pressing issues like episode 60. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you guys, <laughs> 76 and 77. Uh, mild dyslexia. Yeah. Hey, you know what, everybody? Uh, Christiana had to evacuate uh, because of the Silverado fire in Orange County. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. Super scary. And uh, she is safe, marked safe from Silverado fire. (laughs) And uh, currently joining me from a hotel room in San Diego. Woohoo! You know, I mean, on the list of essentials that we had to grab was definitely the podcast recording equipment. <laughs> Got my full setup. Oh my god! And gosh. a box to carry it in. There you so, go. You know, the podcasting can't stop, no matter if a fire. The show at must house. go. Yeah, exactly. The show <laughs> must go on. Yeah, if you haven't seen the Silverado fire, um, check it out. I mean, what, they haven't lost any structures, so. I am all the praise and uh, well wishes go to the firefighters and first responding community that has been working on that because it is, it's a doozy. They, I don't even know what to say. This is, this is a badass fire team. I mean, they saved, I can't even tell you how many houses they were able to stave the fire off from. And the morning that we were evacuated, was that just Monday? What's today? I have no idea. I, yeah, Monday because today is oh my gosh. Wednesday. We're recording this the day before Yeah, this episode is coming out. So you get to listen to us last minute, people. Um, this it's, is how we it, do. It'll, it'll make it really topical. <laughs> exactly. It's like up to date stuff. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, but we got evacuated Monday and I woke up and thought it was, it was about 7 a.m. And I thought that we were having a thunderstorm. I don't know. Was the wind hitting you guys in that oh, way too? The wind was so loud. <laughs> the wind. Okay. So we have this. We have this graveyard. Um, my <laughs> my experimental garden in the front has <laughs> a <The> large <laughs> patch of dirt, <laughs> a hill, if you will. Ask. <laughs> don't ask. But here's the thing. I have converted it into the most amazing Halloween graveyard and it it's working really well. It it looks very intentional. Anyway, really? yeah, we put all these headstones, like these headstones in the all these headstones in the um in the ground, in the dirt, in the dirt in front of our house. And so we <laughs> come outside. And like we and my kids have all these huge spiders and like all the, you know, all the Halloween stuff. Oh, yeah, we come spiders. outside. And there are gravestones everywhere. There's a massive spider that is like about to like get onto somebody's car. It is just swinging around, which was a little terrifying for people, I'm sure, to see these like, you know, all this Halloween scary stuff all over the place. But yeah, so we had to go and collect our gravestones. I was going to um, say, I didn't see gravestones when I was oh, yeah. like – yeah, yeah, yeah. Fire house. Yeah, there was Ashley a she was yeah. amazing. We got to come and feed our dog and sit and think about what the hell had just happened. Yeah, seriously. I mean, that was crazy. Um I was gonna say I was missing the gravestones. I got to see the hanging little ghosts and they sang yep. to me and all the graves and there were skeletons and coming mm-hmm. out of the gra- yeah, and like all this stuff and, oh, and just went away. flying around the neighborhood. Yeah, the winds were just crazy. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. Is there a gravestone in front yard? Yeah, exactly. Someone's going to be like, fine. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Thank God it's close. We did it close enough to Halloween because if we had been, you know, early on the scene, that would have been super weird. But yeah, the Santa Ana, the Santa Ana winds are no joke. Like everybody no talks joke. about them when we live down here, but they really are no joke. And they're not, they're, they're, they're serious for this exact reason because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, 
the brush around here is like kindling. And so you get that, the combination, uh, you know, of Southern California Edison who can't figure out how not to start fires and, uh, uh, you know, the winds and all of that brush and voila, you have Oliver Vine evacuated. So to give you guys kind of like a little snapshot, the wind gusts were average 30 miles per hour and they just kind of hit out of nowhere. But the wind gusts that we woke up to were 60 to 70 miles an hour. So it was like a hurricane. Like I could barely, I took my dog outside to potty in the morning and I couldn't even hardly see what was in front of me because there was so much blowing. And then so out of the surrounding communities, I think 95,000 people ended yeah. up getting evacuated. Yep. That morning, there was a call to evacuate 60,000 people. Right. Uh, but by the time we got evacuated, because we were in kind of the second evacuation zone as it started moving south, and, and we – I this is how fast it happened. I got up. We had um, – I don't – we didn't have a recording that day. I couldn't remember what we had. We had something. I had a meeting or something that we needed to do. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to get in the shower. And, you know, we saw there's a fire. And I, th- I thought, you know, you just don't know how fast it moves or where it's going. So I thought, I'm just going to get in the shower, get ready. We'll pack up some stuff just in case. By the time I get out of the shower, I my husband comes upstairs and is like, hey, um, we, we're getting evacuated. And it was a, it was apparently, it was an evacuation warning. So it was like, it's coming. Yeah, so, yeah. so start packing up. So it was, we didn't have to grab two things and run. Thank goodness. Um, so it was a few hours, but we ended up packing up because you, you just, with the way the wind was blowing, it could have changed at, at any minute. And we have a podcast guest that will be coming on in a few weeks that I won't give away yet. But I'm just going to say he's a well-known firefighter <laughs> and he tells his story and in his story, which you guys, I'm just giving you tiny little clues. Um, you know the story. So, you know that, you know, the story it's, there's been a movie made about it. That's all I'm going to say. I probably just <laughs> gave it away, <laughs> but there was a wind shift. And so that story was in the, in the back of my head. And I just thought, okay, this is not this is not something to play around with. And especially with how many homes are around the communities where it started. So, um, yeah, so that was a crazy day. And thanks to your lovely host, ALB. Oh my For gosh. taking us in and making sure we were okay. Um, oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. My husband was like ready to chase the storm. Oh my gosh. He was. He downloaded an, uh, the police scanner app. And we, but this was so cool because we're you know we're looking at at these updates and we're like we're not sure what's going on but we'd like to know and you're getting general updates but not like up to the minute updates in the area and Dak downloads this police scanner that picks up <laughs> what's actually <laughs> happening and so how he tunes into that area and what uh, I don't even know yes. but we're listening to it and so he he's he's like super intense with it he's holding his phone up to his ear and he's got all he, the deets all the deets comes he's on starting the to he's use like, he's starting to speak in code <laughs> he's like just we got so a 25 on 35 on uh Irvine Boulevard yeah mm-hmm. guys they got a 25 and a 35 on Irvine Boulevard okay yeah great they're they're deploying team three five. Oh, oh, okay doc thank you <laughs> I know, but he was really intense. And then Jackson started getting into it, one of Ashley's sons, and wanted to listen to the scanner. And then right before, because we ended up leaving and heading a little bit more south to stay with a friend who has like a casita. And right before we left, Dak's like, just so you know, the weather forecast is that the winds are supposed to die down for the next three hours, but it's going to pick up. And tomorrow, they're saying that Lake Forest is going to burn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're saying on the scanner, okay. Lake Forest is going to burn. I'm like, oh, my God. I was like, okay, that's that's no home. So, all right, all right. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. Yeah, we like to play this game in California. It's called How Fast Can You Pack Your Shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should have stuff packed because of yeah. earthquakes. No, it's it's like oh it's it's literally like. Yes, we have the beaches and the beautiful weather and da, 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 and you know all that stuff. But how about ba- how fast can you pack your shit? How fast? I know. And yeah. how fast can you get a hotel room? Because Southern California residents that have now you know walked through this, my goodness, when you get a mass evacuation like that, there are no hotels anywhere, anywhere. I mean, we tried, and 
I would just like to say I don't appreciate the dog discrimination. It's mm. just like a rude. thing that I oh, – so rude. Uh, thanks. Shout out to the woman that wanted to make us pay almost $200 for our dog. Thank you very much. We really appreciate your kindness and generosity. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Where's, Meanwhile, where's there's FEMA? children running around picking yeah. their boogers and wiping them on the walls. And I was like, Oh, yeah. That's what I always – I always say what? that. <laughs> at, about the uh i always say about the the rent when you rent and they ask mm-hmm. you for a deposit yes but, but you have children and i'm I'd like I, like i look at my house and like okay <laughs> let me get this straight you want a pet dip my mastiff lays on the bed and sleeps probably 22 hours a day you know he the destruction is zero okay <laughs> other, other, than, other than poop and pee which we pick up right my children, there should be a children, a child a deposit. That's a whole other. I'm like, yeah, no, no pets. I'm like, you might as well make it no kids. You're like, are you sure? Are you yeah. sure that's yeah. not switched? Yeah. I was like, I was like definitely passive aggressively talking to my dog as we marched out of the hotel. Well, I don't understand why people don't like <laughs> people want to keep children around, but not dogs. I, I do like kids. I'm not, I'm not a kid hater, but they're more destructive. Literally anybody that owns a dog and has kids will tell you that. That's their kid. They're like, my, my kids have destroyed my house. My dog just lays there. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Real talk. but anyways, we, that's why we have amazing friends that take us in and we're so thankful and we're thankful that our house is, is still standing. And thanks again, just shout out to the, those firefighters. They're yeah. true heroes and we appreciate them. And Please give them your good thoughts because there were five injured um, and two are in critical condition. So we're sending all of our thoughts and prayers that way for them. Yes. Well, we will shift from fire talk because mm. I know it's oh so stimulating to chat about. Yeah. Meet us next week at uh, Wednesday for a fire talk. <laughs> People that are like on the East Coast listening to this are like, yeah, they're oh. like, God, what is there? Yeah, please make it stop. Skip over 15 seconds. 15 15 seconds forward. Yep. Um, So we had some awesome guests on and two people that you were actually connected with. I know Betsy was like a family friend or she's friends of a family friend. Friends of a family friend. She was, I mean, just so much fun to get to know and talk to. And she brought, um, she's episode 76. She brought, uh, a couple well she she brought a couple different things to talk about in her story but one of them we really haven't talked about on the podcast this was the first time so we're going to highlight this a little bit more um for those of you who haven't listened to episode 76 we have the link in the show notes please go listen to it betsy is a mother of four grown children and she um basically grew up in she describes it. I, I loved her hearing her paint the picture. She grew up in like a Mad Men type era where like that their her parents would put on these elaborate parties and she'd you know sit on the excuse me the staircase and watch everybody drink and um, it seemed very glamorous and so she ended up having a a very long struggle with drinking and and hid it for a very long time. Um, and another part of her story, and she goes way into that, but what we're going to actually highlight um, more here, because this is, again, a new topic to the podcast, is compulsive shopping. And I don't know if anyone is familiar with compulsive shopping. It's the correct way to, to-, to-, to coin the term, I guess, shopping addiction. Um, I know someone who struggles with this, and it is gnarly. It's a family member of mine. I'm just going to leave it at that. And she I is mean, five six and with blonde hair, but I am not going to tell you who she is. <laughs> but I, I was really excited to hear from Betsy because this is something that I've noticed for a long time. I just never knew that it was categorized as a type of an addiction. I just thought, oh, they just shop too much because they like things. I didn't know that there was like an actual compulsion and like a high that you can get. I mean, I get it excited buying things of course especially if it's something I want but it's like we what my, we actually talk about is this person like like it's like she they I'm gonna say they need like a hit they need multiple hits daily from shopping um, for things and and sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it doesn't so um 
it's been really interesting to see and watch it evolve and progress over the years. And so hearing Betsy talk about was amazing. Um, Betsy had sent me when she, she did the podcast, she said, uh, this article is really interesting. Um, we'll include, we've included this in the show notes in her episode. We'll include it in the show notes for this episode as well. Um, but it's an article on psychology today about the five patterns of compulsive buying um, basically what it is, but just to give a quick example here, um, compulsive behavior re- refers to the continued repetition of a behavior despite adverse consequences. So obviously this is, you know, addiction as well. Um, the compulsions are fueled by the obsessions or intrusive thoughts of contaminations. Compulsive buying is characterized by excessive preoccupation or poor impulse control with shopping and adverse consequences like marital conflict and financial problems. That is a quick overview, but the article goes into basically the five points that make up a compulsive buyer. Um, really, really interesting. Um, number one is impulse purchases. Number two is a buyer's high um, of like euphoria. Number three is shopping to dampen unpleasant emotions. Number four is guilt and remorse. So their purchases are followed by that. And then number five is the pain of paying. And so this is just a brief overview. I'm not an expert by any means on this. So read this article. It's really interesting. But I just thought it was so – it was so interesting because compulsive buying, Betsy likened it to eating disorders, meaning we have to eat we have to shop. We, we have to eat in order to stay alive. We have to shop in order to get the resources that we need in order to live life, stay alive, you know, especially buying food. Um, and so she goes into it with her episode and Ash, I didn't know. I was going to punt it over to you. I didn't know if, if she said anything that stood out to you about this. Yeah. I mean, it, it, of course, as I'm sure it did with the listeners, you know, we're all going through our own probably taking inventory of our own shopping, right? Um, (laughs) my shopping, you know, her shopping was typically on clothes. I, I, you know, my, you know, I was doing a, uh, a, an inventory of all the crap that I buy on Amazon, but most of it's for the house. So it's really just not that exciting. But anyway, I was thinking through those things and, um, you know, what, 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 you know, it's impulse, it's, it's, it's compulsion. It's a compulsion. And this is the way that this particular compulsion plays out. What, you know, the, the, the thing about it being like an eating disorder where you have to eat or, you know, shopping addiction or compulsive shopping where you have to pay for things. Uh, someone once said to me, yes, you have to eat, but you don't have to eat alcoholic foods, right? So you Mm -hmm. don't have to, you know, uh, it, you know, it's not like alcohol cause you, you never have to drink again. Yeah. I have to drink water. I have to drink like, like this idea that it's really difficult because I still have to drink, mm. uh, or I still have to eat. Yes. But I don't have to eat or drink the things that were causing the problems. Like my problem is you don't catch me in the corner with a head of broccoli. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, I, I, put I it mean, down, Ashley, put yeah. down the vegetables. You right. So it's like, yes, I have to eat, but, but let's be real. Like, I'm not, you know, it's, it's this, I don't have an iceberg lettuce problem, right? It's like, it, it, I, there are alcoholic foods. There are foods that trigger the compulsion and there are beverages that trigger the compulsion. You know, I drink tea, I drink water, you know, I'm still drinking. And the same is with shopping. Like, you know, you're essentially shopping when you're paying your rent or paying your mortgage. I'm not sure you're getting high from that, right? So it's like, it's it's the accumulation of certain types of things in certain circumstances. And I think that is where the specificity is important about what the behaviors are. Because we're really talking about – it's not like, oh, I'm going to be addicted to always using money in any way, shape, or form, right? It's It's about using it in a way that is feeding – that that void, right? Because it's just about that void just comes back to that. Yeah. It's just about what's going to make me feel differently than I feel. And what I'm willing, you know, I was thinking you were talking about like, oh, I haven't, you know, we haven't talked a lot about um, shopping, compulsive shopping, compulsive buying. 
it's like honestly i've heard of compulsive there was literally someone who was, had like a problem with compulsive couch eating you know like that might be a stretch but I, I, the point being compulsive behavior can be pointed at anything you can you know that's what workaholism right it's like I just work and work and work and work and work. So I don't have to deal with this other thing. Like it's just easy right. to stay focused. And so, you know, with what she was talking about, um, the combination of the alcoholism, the buying, the access to money, um, you know, that, that sort of hoarding, like some of there was like some sort of, there's also a, a, a hoarding component, right. Mm -hmm. Um, which is interesting to me. Like you're still, you're accumulating things, which in some ways is part of hoarding things. And, and it's about putting your, putting value into things, thing, you know, that, that, that's going to make me feel better. Um, and I also think it's about a belief that it's going to make you feel better. I was having this thought, um, I'm getting a new phone because my phone is malfunctioning. <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. And I was thinking about how like, it used those types of things used to be something I would focus on, mm -hmm. and um, like, oh, I'm getting something new, so I'm gonna feel differently. And it was interesting. I had this thought, like, oh, I actually am listening to this book called um, "Think Like a Monk" by Jay Shetty, and talking about how like things, this exact topic, like, do we invest in things that we think are gonna make us feel better? Do we? say, okay, when I get here or when I get that thing or, you know, if I have this, I'll feel differently. If I have this, I'll feel differently. And, you know, I was thinking about how that used to be a very common thing. Like I would get excited to get the thing and how when I started seeking happiness and uh, fulfillment in other ways, a perfect example is of the phone. Like I used to get really excited to get a new, you know, the new, the new phone, whatever that was. And now it's like, oh, I'm just really excited to have my phone not like work, you know, um, right. because I don't attach happiness to it, if that makes sense. Like I don't, I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't consider it as a means to make me feel differently. I, it's, it's, it's a, you know, a transaction. And I think that type of thinking, really it's our thinking that causes the action that these things are going to make us feel differently or going to make us feel better. And then just the repetition of that. I, I really like that you said that because that's the, the person that I'm, that I'm referencing in my life whenever, um, there, there was a, a divorce in the family and, whenever that happened, I, I definitely noticed, you know, whenever people go through a life change, right? You, you're wanting to reinvent yourself. Totally. There's, there's obviously healing that goes into that, finding yourself, kind of creating your new identity apart from this person and, and everything. So I understood that, but I knew there was a problem whenever, and this is so identically parallel to Betsy's story, something that she mentions too, but I remember walking into their closet and it was, it went from, you know, the closet was half and half, right? It was yeah, like, you know, shared. And then that, you know, whenever the divorce happened, of course, half the closet goes away, right? And then coming in a few months later and seeing the closet absolutely filled with clothes. I mean, this was a big closet. And about, I'd say 60% of the clothes in the closet still had tags on them. And yeah. there were duplicates of yeah. many different things. So, you know, I have a few sweaters that or, or t-shirts that like I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I have this one set of tank tops. I think I have five of them. They're like yeah. these just like basics and they go under everything. So that makes oh, yeah. sense. But every piece in my closet isn't five different colors of the same jacket of the same, but this is what it was. I mean, it was just so extreme. And I just thought there's no way one person can wear all this. I mean, even 365 days a year. And so it, it was really interesting. And I even asked, I said, hey, like, what are you going to do with all this stuff? Like, do you want to give us away? Do you want maybe, do you still have receipts? Maybe you can return this. Um, it was, it was literally duplicates, triplicates, you know, five of sweaters, just every, it was, it was this over overabundance. I mean, more clothes, more new clothes than somebody could wear in a year. 
And it was just like a source of – it was almost like a trophy. It was almost like a trophy. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think there are some circumstances where that makes – where that isn't like the problem. Maybe you have a really big job and you need – you know, like I I think it's like with anything making a sweeping – you know, like if you have five of something, then, you know, that's excessive. It's really more about the fact that it's really more about the compulsive piece and also using the the buying and the um, the thing as a as a um, moment of of happiness and relief. And it's interesting. Um, this article talks, you know, the first of the five is impulse purchase, right? They often mm-hmm. purchase things on impulse that they can do without. And they often try to conceal their shopping habits. Spending without adequate reflection can result in having many unopened items, boxes of shoes or clothes in their closets as they continue the cycle of buying. Compulsive buyers may develop into hoarders later in life after their products have accumulated with time. And, um, you know, that piece is interesting, right? It's like holding on to things you're not using. I think it's a lot of it is like not using it, getting things you don't need or not using it and then doing it compulsively. For me, the dysfunction in all things comes from doing the same thing over and over again and getting a destructive and and having it be destructive and continuing to do it like that Mm -hmm. because it doesn't – I mean, it's – I I think the point that I want people to hear is like it doesn't really matter. You know, I you know, yeah, I always say when people are like, "Well, I don't think I have an alcohol problem." I'm like, "Okay, well, does alcohol cause you problems?" Mm -hmm. Right? And I think it's kind of the same thing. Like, okay, you know, does excessive boating cause you problems? Right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, like if, if it does, then. I, you know, it may not be in the DSM four or five, DSM five now, um, but sounds like, you know, it's like, are, what are you doing yeah. to, um, to avoid, to, you know, dampen unpleasant emotions? It's an attempt to fill an emotional void like loneliness, lack of control, or lack of self-esteem. Often a negative mood such as an argument or frustration triggers an urge to shop. However, the decrease in negative emotions is temporary and is it is replaced by an increase in anxiety or guilt, right? Like it's you keep doing right. something that makes you feel anxious or or guilty. And you know, she was doing it with clothing. I I I've seen people um gather things that have that have no value like you know, newspaper, you know what I mean? Like, it's interesting how, you know, you, I think in some ways, depending on what you buy, you can make it look legitimate for a while and, and keep those things and hold on to those things. But yeah, it's, uh, it was, you know, Betsy, um, she did a great job of portraying the pain and the cycle Mm -hmm. and the moments of, you know, shame, um, and guilt and uh, tying in her alcoholism and the progression of her alcoholism, you know, all of it, um, these these co-occurring disorders are really important to know about when you're getting sober because it's highly likely that one will touch your life. Yeah. No, it's she, she was so open and so honest and so vulnerable, even talking about how it affected all four of her kids differently, mm-hmm. you know, starting with the oldest, obviously remembering more of it. Um, and, and it was, it was just really lovely being able to hear from her and, and she started this amazing business called mindful style where she yeah. helps people get rid of the access in their life and uses some pieces of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, um, to help reshape patterns, um, yeah. kind of thinking patterns in the brain. And, and I just thought that's just so wonderful that she's you know looking to give back out of what she's learned and, and what she struggled with. So yeah, it's a real – it's a need. Like it's cool. Mm-hmm. For me, what was cool about her company, Mindful Style, is that it's something different. Like it's something, you know, there's a need for that. It's it's not like mm-hmm. hundreds of – you know, you can find a therapist on every corner, you know, like every right. corner, you know. But can you find someone with that specificity, you know, that issue who's gone through that and can help you with that using – things they've used in their own life. I mean, that's just really, really cool. Really cool. 
and she was so sweet. I was like, can I just reach through? She was another one of our guests where I was like, can I just reach through the recording thing? Hug you. Yeah, thing and hug you. I really – Super sweet. Really love you. <laughs> so thank you to Betsy. And and if you guys have any questions about that, um, Betsy did leave her contact information. You can contact her. And if you're looking to help get your closet under control, uh, mindfulstyle.com, I believe, is her – let me double check is her website and we'll, we'll put it in the show notes as well, but just wanted to call it out because again, it's something that's so helpful and so needed, especially during this time. It was amazing. You know, one last thing that I wanted to say, which was really interesting. I spent some time with, um, this was the thing that I actually forgot to write on the notes here. Um, I, when I spent some time recently, not too long ago with this person that I was talking about in my family, um, we were trying to plan uh, – we'd met them on a trip and we were trying to plan, you know, just around everybody's schedules. Like, well, we'll go and meet up and do dinner here and whatever else. And um, this person was was wanting to go out shopping. And I I said something like, well, can you, can you just wait for me just for like 45 minutes? I need to get some work done. I'll pop out with you real quick and then come back. And, you know, it was kind of like a working trip. So I was like, I only have like an hour and I can come back and – like this person started getting very, very upset. Like it mm. was like, I mean, very upset. Like, no, like not directed at me, but was just like in distress that mm. I was going to hold up yeah. whatever this time was that they wanted to shop. And I, I started recognizing it and I was like, I was like, okay. And, and so I asked, I was like, what's the, what's the problem? Do you need to have something by a certain time? Like, I was just trying to understand, like, do you need this by a certain time? Or is there a store you need to hit for some specific reason? And they started listing off the stores they wanted to go to and why, and it was so important. And it it made absolutely no logical sense to me. I mean, it wasn't it it was there. It wasn't like we needed food by a certain time, or there was a gift for an event that we had to get by two p.m. to be at the yeah. event before. You know, it was the reasons were completely illogical. And I, I was at that moment that I was like, okay, they, they just need to get out. They just, they need yeah. to go there and and I can't hold them up because this is causing actual emotional distress. Yep. And I was like, you know what? Hey, I'm actually not feeling that great. I could use the extra time to work. I'll just sit here and find some food. Why don't you just go? And it was like relief. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, thank God. And they came back with, I mean, they'd hit you know, five more stores than they said they'd got, they'd gone to. And, and again, it just, it was all over the place, all over the map, nothing out of necessity from yeah. where we were at, what they needed for the trip. It was just really, I, I think that was the first time I realized like, my God, like my wanting to just like stay on a schedule and make something logical was causing them emotional distress because they, they needed this. They needed this now. That's, yeah, that's, that's intense. I mean, it's, it's you know, it sounds like every other addiction, right? It's just like Absolutely. that, that part in the brain. Absolutely. And it made me realize like, I can't stand, I can't stand in the way, you know, it's, you know, it's just, I'm not gonna. Someone's trying to get their need met. Exactly. Exactly. And I, it was um I I thought of Bayon's story you know all the way back to episode two in season one, and I it made me think of this is so not the same but I think it was the 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 part in the brain that needed it so badly reminded me of so Bayon's family had done an intervention on her and she, the way she talks about it just so great now we can la- obviously laugh about it because she's in recovery and doing so well and helping other people, um, but. Uh, her, she had agreed to go to treatment, but, you know, had to kind of collect herself and, <laughs> and, uh, had just gone through this stress of this inter- intervention. So naturally she pours herself a nice tall glass of vodka and jumps into the shower and is just, just needs to like, blah, you know, just de-stress. And her mom comes to take the glass of vodka away from her. And they, they have, you know, like a, someone who kind of helps clean and stuff there. And that person had been through, um, an intervention before with someone and they were like, no, don't <laughs> Do take the glass away. Yep. Do not like just leave them alone. They will go to treatment. Like it, it's going to be yep. okay. And, and so it, again, it's maybe not the best parallel, but to me, that desperation of, I mm-hmm. need this right now. Don't tear this away from me. And like, don't take it away from them until they're able to get help and get those recovery tools and 
Right. They need to be replaced. They need to be replaced. So this is a great segue, actually, into Chris Paulson's story. Um, So much great content in this one. This was a longer episode for sure. Um, But it was so great because there was a pairing of uh, Chris's story with a lot of psychology. Um, He's, you know, he's a a licensed marriage and family counselor. And so um, he has so, he has so much knowledge as do you just about recovery and sobriety, living it for himself, but also in helping people, um, you know, every day through his job, through his career. He owns a treatment center up in Washington, I believe. Yeah, called Discover Recovery. Discover Recovery. Check that out. We'll link that in the show notes as well. And and I think the segue is so great because you and Chris had so many great side conversations that kept coming out of his story. So the link here comes from um, one of the things you and Chris were talking about were um, that was the aspect of the family entering treatment. And mm-hmm. you're saying family members are pushing for the substance user themselves to change, but they don't realize so many different things, right? That you're asking them to change everything about them. And one of the things you said, Ashley, was you can't even do an hour a week. So like you're wanting to throw this person into treatment and you can't even commit to you know, going to Al-Anon or, or t- going to personal counseling one hour a week. And you said you're asking them to remove the one consistent thing in their life that they can count on and just become a new person. Just do it. Just become a new person. Um, and you guys the, went into – oh, so go, go ahead. The, the way that the family sees it, which is completely understandable, but the way that the family sees it – and, you know, I've had conversations with my family about this is they're like, you're the one with the problem. Why do I need to go to therapy or why do I need to get help when you're the one with the problem? Like, I'm not having these problems in my life. And that is true. However, in order to be able to support that person, in order to be able to understand and support and and really have a strong relationship the family really has to have a better understanding of what they're dealing with and how they do and do not contribute. Because so often it's like the family doesn't mean to contribute. Obviously, the parents aren't meaning to contribute, but they do. And it's not just like, oh, you're enabling them. You know, you hear that like, oh, you're enabling them. No, it's not just – It's there, there, there's nuance to, to a lot of this. And yeah, you – when you are – asking someone to enter treatment, you're asking them to change everything, to change Mm -hmm. everything that they think and know about themselves. And, um, you know, that's been consistent for them and to go through often physical discomfort and real emotional distress and, you know, change their, as we say, playground and play things, you know, the people, their friends, their play, you know, the pieces, places they go, you know, you know, and the family always, I, I, they'll often say, you know, we'd do anything for our loved one. And then you bring up going to, you know, a therapy session or a family group or Al-Anon or something of that nature for an hour a week. And it's like, no, I don't have time for that. And I think that is, Um, And I know people who, you know, really just don't see the connection there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of those things where the family just really doesn't understand. It's almost, it's almost a, 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 um, it's a reinforcement of the belief, right? It's the fact that they think they don't have to, or that they won't give an hour a week reinforces uh, the need. Uh, and and at the same time, I do understand the family's pissed. The family's mm-hmm. over it. They've already given hours and hours and hours. Like they've already tried. They've already been to the therapist. They've already da 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 da. They've been doing it for a long time. So you know, a lot of the time they're they're just not interested and mm-hmm. fed up. But the the statistics, the data shows that families that get well together, that the person who is the substance user has a much higher chance of staying sober. That completely makes sense. And I loved how you guys went into detail and said you have to remember that they're literally relearning how to live life 
habits. Mm-hmm. They're changing everything that they relied yep. on to get through the day, even the ways that they related to people. And so that's something that's important to consider. And it's funny because I'm getting a little bit of a shot of the family thing right now because there's somebody within my family circle that's going through this. And like I'm on the end of like, oh, my dear God, like I just want to choke this person because it's just they're causing so much destruction. Yep. And I know know everything about this. It doesn't matter when it's your family. Mm -mm. It doesn't. It's really interesting. It's been challenging me to the absolute core to remember and keep going back to, okay, this is someone who is suffering and I need to remember why. And that doesn't mean you enable the person. That doesn't mean you go, oh, you poor thing. I'm so sorry. Okay, we're just going to let you because you're in so much pain. That's not what you do. But remembering where and why what this is coming from and being able to help and support the other family members in that Mm -hmm. way as they're walking through it and encouraging them to same thing go to personal counseling Al-Anon you've got to get connected with other people who are going through this who can talk you through this who understand this um and I've even been sending them podcast episodes like you I want you to hear this from someone in recovery so you can understand the mindset of where where your loved one's at right now it also it's like if if someone is is using and everyone in their family that they you know that they that they spend time with starts going to Al-Anon and therapy even if it's not their issue but they start going to Al-Anon and therapy and they get feedback on how to respond to this person in all these different scenarios that person is going to pay attention okay they don't want they don't the the number one thing that you know I shouldn't say that not the number one thing but you know if you're an addict or an alcoholic and your spouse or your parents, whatever, start going to Al-Anon, you start panicking, okay? Because they, you know, they're going to learn how to to change their behaviors to not, and, and, and this is this is the piece that's really important is I support your recovery. I will not support your addiction, right? Mm-hmm. I will support, I will support the moment you want to, put all your energy into your recovery. I am there by your side. I will walk through the flames with you, Mm. but I cannot do one single thing to support your addiction. I will not. So if it's, if whatever it is, is in pursuit of your addiction, I cannot be there. But if it is in pursuit of your recovery, I will be there every step of the way. I will show up. And so when you show people that, and, and you, you know, they'll test you, um, then that gets people's attention. And it also means that as soon as, uh, as soon as they're ready to do something different, then you show up, you know, I'll give a example, which of mine, which was, was in this abusive relationship on and off for years. And, um, and at one point in between treatment centers after I'd turned 18, um, the guy – I hadn't been talking to him for a long time and then the guy came back into my life and had convinced me to move um, back with him and I was – this. these were just phone conversations. But as soon as my dad found out that um, that was going on, he cut off contact with me. This was after years of me – um, being in treatment. And he was just like, look, I can't like that person cannot be in my life, period. And like, I cannot have contact with you. And his big thing was like the mo- basically this person was was part of my addiction. So mm-hmm. and he said, like, I will not support your addiction. And but the moment you want to get, you know, the moment you're I will always support your recovery. I'll be there every step of the way. So I don't remember what happened. It was, you know, a lot of drama and uh but what did happen was something happened that I found out that made me say I'm done with you and I don't want to talk to you and I ended that relationship and I picked up the phone and called my dad and he said I'm on the next flight out we oh. weren't speak we weren't speaking we hadn't been speaking he wouldn't speak to me he didn't wow. come to, you know, but the moment and he was pissed, pissed. Like how could we've been through all of this? We've been through so right. much to get you back. And like, you're going to go back to the person who put a needle in your arm. Are you kidding me? Like right. 
it's been years. This person was violent in our family to uh, your siblings, lived in our home, stole from us. Like you, you're joking, right? You know, just absolute, yeah. I mean, rage, absolute rage cost my family tens of thousands of dollars, you know, when through legal stuff. I mean, just absolute rage and, and, and at my at the mere thought that I would go back to this person when my family had been the people who had stood by me this whole time. Like it was such a, it was such a, um, you know, like spit in their face kind of thing. And I'll never forget. I literally pick up the phone. I call him and he's like, I am on my way to the air. I'm on the next flight out. And he came and, um, he uh, he came and we we had like a really nice time. He didn't bring it up with me. We didn't talk about it. Um, we went canoeing. We went, we did all this like five photos from that trip, um, and we we never talked about it because there was nothing to talk about, right? And that was just the ultimate. Like I think back to that. That was just the ultimate, um, the perfect example of I'll do anything to support your recovery. You can go back to this a-hole loser who destroyed our lives mm-hmm. and the moment you say you're done I'll be th- I'll be back but I cannot be there as long as that person is there as long as you're choosing your addiction over us even as much as that hurts I will show up when you're done and you know I think that th- that is that feels probably like oh well that's enabling and blah 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 you know but you know, as the person, as the person who, who did that, that got my attention. I was paying really close attention to that. And I, you know, I remember that and what that, 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 um, what that tells me, what that ingrains in my brain is that my family will do anything to support me and support my recovery. And they will do nothing to support my addiction. If it is, you know, it is, if it is in support of my addiction, they will do nothing. And so doing that, with your family members is very, very powerful, but you have to know how your which is which, what's supportive, what's not. You you have to you have to have some knowledge about this stuff. And nobody is born with that. So you have to go get that knowledge. How do you get that knowledge? You seek people who have been through it, you seek out people who uh experts, you know, whatever. And you know, one of the best ways to do that, right, is to go to these support groups where people are in the midst of going through these things. You get to know these people. You have support. You can call them and talk about your specific situation. They can they can give you help, um, feedback. But there, it cannot, it cannot be overstated the value uh, and the advantages of having a family that chooses to take part in the recovery process. I cannot, cannot, cannot overstate that. If you are listening and you are a family member and you desperately want your loved one to get better, start doing some work on yourself. That sounds crazy. I know it does. I know it does. But man, oh man, the people, the families that choose to do some work alongside their loved one, whether they have a problem or not, you can have no problems whatsoever. You leave it to Beaver. Everything's fine. You just have this crazy heroin addict kid. But if you start getting some help too, you will be so much better equipped to help them in their in their process. You, your child, your loved one has a higher chance of living if you get help as well. So, can you tell people if there's if there are people out here who are listening who are in that place of desperation? It's, I mean, as we've talked about, very painful. And uh, where would you suggest? Where would they start? Um, you can look up Al-Anon meetings. Um, if you look up Al-Anon meetings, it'll tell you, you can go and there's a lot of online meetings, um, to attend and you can go and just listen. You don't have to worry about introducing yourself or anything. You can just go and listen. Um, the, if you go to Lion Rock recovery has a family program that meets, I think it's once a week for 90 minutes Mm -hmm. and it's a small group and it's really, really good. And it's really inexpensive. And um, they meet, yeah, they meet, um, you can meet online once a week. And it's typically like a small group of people who are dealing with a loved one. 
and they problem solve. They learn about the disease. They um, come up with, hey, this is what I'm going through this week. What should I do with my kid? Do I answer the phone? Do I give them the money when I know that they're going to starve? Do I kick them out on the street when that could mean that I won't hear from them again? Do I, you know, all those things that unfortunately are a reality in, uh, in these scenarios, you have a small group and a professional that's helping you sort that stuff out. And I know there are other family programs. Um, and if you're a person who is desperately looking for that, you can email me, ashley at lionrockrecovery.com, and I will help you find one um, if that's useful. So, um, but those are the two, those are two really great starts. Um, you can find a therapist who has, uh, who specializes in uh, substance use disorder. So that might look like you find an LCSW, an LMFT, an LCPC, an LCPC. That would be the title behind their name. And then they also will have some sort of certification or um, have, you know, extensive work with the substance use disorder community. So you can ask about that. You can see it on their psychology today. Um, their LinkedIn, whatever, you can look that up. And again, if you have questions about that, people are welcome to email me. That's amazing. And we'll put Ashley's email um, or link to Ashley's email in the show notes as well, podcast at lionrock.life. And we will get back to you as soon as we possibly can. We do check the email weekly. Um, and and I think something that you, you said in a Reddit discussion too um, because we've had you do the Reddit AMAs every once in a while, which has been really awesome, is just to remember that you're not alone. So if you're struggling with substance use, you are not alone. There is treatment. There is help. There are ways to get help. And same thing with the family members. You are not alone. There are so many people, unfortunately, that are going through this. And uh, there's help. And there's also hope for your family member or for your friend. Yeah. And, and I think um, I'll add to that, which is it's okay that you have no idea what to do. It's totally okay. None of us were born with the knowledge of how to deal with a substance use disorder, either in ourselves or a loved one. That's just, it's really, really normal that you don't know how to deal with that. And, and if you had cancer or your loved one had cancer, you wouldn't be really upset with yourself if you didn't know how to operate on it or you didn't know how to deal with it, right? You would yeah. you, you would go, oh gosh, I've never dealt with this before and you'd go seek out help. This is the same thing. It's okay that you don't know what to do. And when you don't know what to do, you seek out people who do know what to do. You seek out support. And that is how we get through these things. And often, um, you know, I used to do interventions and I would spend a lot of time with the family and I would tell them like often the thing that seems like the right thing to do in the situation with a loved one with addiction is not. Uh, addiction is oftentimes, um, you know, I, I, I like to give this example. If you're standing on a pier and your loved one who can't swim falls into the water and they're drowning right there and you're standing on the pier and for whatever reason you can't jump in, um, and you have a, you have a, you know, a life ring and your first, your first desire, right, your first inclination is to jump into the water, pull them out, right, throw that life ring on them, pull them out, force them onto the pier mm -hmm. and help them, right? That's the, that's the first who wouldn't do that. Right. But if that person is a drug addict and an alcoholic in this scenario, then you throw them the life ring and you turn around on the pier with your back facing to them and you say, hey, I'm right here. Grab the ring. I'm going to help you get out. Because if you do not engage the person in taking ownership, in getting some of the help, if you can't get that tiny inkling, right? And this is, the, I use this example for adults, right? When it's, when it's a teenager, if you're dealing with a person under 18, uh, you know, it's it's a different, a whole different ball game. But you know, sometimes the thing that we that we want to do, the thing that seems like the smartest 
you know, the most natural thing that we would do is jump in and rescue them. That doesn't help them. It doesn't. It doesn't help them. We have to give them some ownership of getting that help. And by giving them ownership, it doesn't mean you're not throwing out the life vest or the life ring. You're not coaching them through it. You're not telling them how much you love them. You're not saying, I'm right here. Grab it. I'm right here. I'm going to pull you up. It's going to be okay. You know, that doesn't mean, but you are giving them the opportunity to grab it Mm -hmm. because without that, they're just going to go right back because that's the way the disease works, right? So in you know, it's just a really important thing that the family gets education and help with this stuff. Um, There's a great book if you are a science neuro nerd like I am. There's a a great book called Healing the Addicted Brain. And, um, you know, that might be a a really good place if you're trying to understand why why you have a loved one that's acting like a lunatic. Um, Because it's really, you know, there's a lot of brain science going on. And once you start to understand that, I mean, frankly, the brain science helped me understand because I was, I thought I was, you know, headed to one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And, um, you know, what, when I started to look at the brain science around it, um, particularly the combination of PTSD and trauma, and then also um, addiction, compulsion in the brain, what that looks like and what that does to the brain and how that changes behavior. I was like, oh, okay, well, I didn't have a chance in hell. So, um, so, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a bad person trying to get good. I'm a sick person trying to get well. Yeah, that's really good. This is amazing information. I think this would be a good place to end the episode and to just encourage people um, yep. to reach out. Again, we'll put these links in the show notes. And thank you also to our amazing guests, Betsy Ames and Chris Paulson of episode 77 and then Betsy Ames with 76. Please go give a listen to both these episodes. You'll learn so much. And if you are in need of resources or in need of help, please feel free to email us again, podcast at lionrock.life. Ashley will get that email. Um, Anything else, Ash? Any other resources or anything else you'd like to add? No, feel free. You know, we love hearing from you guys. Um, you know, we we uh, please reach out. Tell us how uh, an interview uh, affected you or touched you. Like, we just really, really want to connect with you. And and please reach out and let us know if if you were moved by um, any of the interviews or or you're interested in hearing about other topics. Uh, really excited for, we have a big interview coming up and, um, really looking forward to closing out season two. I crazy. We're talking about this closing out season two with a bang. So, uh, oh, and we've had so many podcast guest applications come through. It, it is unbelievable. It's hard to get through to everybody. So if you have sent in an application and not heard from us, it doesn't mean that we're not interested. It just means we are wading through applications, which is so exciting to say because as we talked about season one, we were practically begging our first, you know, 10 to 15 <laughs> guests to come on. Please, it'll be so great. And we promise we'll make it really great. Um, and now we're getting so much interest and just I think it's just because we're building this this community outward. So um, we again, if you've submitted a podcast guest application, it will be reviewed. Um, just be patient with us as we're wrapping up season two, and you may be a guest on season three. You never know. And if you haven't filled out a podcast guest application, but you are interested in telling your story, um, then please uh, contact us. You can go to our website, which is linerock.life backslash courage to change podcast. And under the contact section is our podcast guest application. We'll also put that on the show notes as well. Exciting stuff. Well, Ash, as always, thank you for your wisdom and your insight and your help and amazingness. You are the best host on earth. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for all that you do. And hopefully you will be back in your home ASAP. Yay. Next podcast. We're believing be coming at you from the home. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. 
LionRock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meetings, schedule, and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at LionRock.life.